This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you here as we are fully involved in March Madness now, boys. Kyle Nash is also joining us here for this first segment. We're going to preview UCF women's basketball in the big dance. They are playing Florida highest seed for UCF in program history as a seven. They play the 10 seed Florida and their reward is a game with a team that UCF has not beaten in 26 tries, but, and then who's, who's waiting on the other end of that is UConn, but we'll talk about that in a second. Um, and then uh, joining us, Chris Pinson, an old friend of ours, UCF graduate, who's now covering the Gators for WCJB in, uh, in Gainesville TV 20, ABC affiliate up there. So he'll give us the lowdown on the uh, Florida side of things. Uh, we'll also talk some baseball and softball and a little track and field from the indoor nationals uh, with uh, Bryson Turner a little bit later. But first, let's get uh, let's get you caught up on basketball so your american athletic conference champion ucf knights are in the big dance once again uh third time in as many tournaments because remember we 2020 we didn't have a tournament because of covid um that ucf is in your highest seed ever as a seven seed playing a 10 seed gainesville bridgeport connecticut uh the game is slated for <clears throat> Uh, Saturday at 3.30 p.m. This is uh, is the first time that UCF and Florida have actually played in uh, more than five years. Actually, I haven't played since Coach Abe has joined joined UCF. Their last meeting was was when UCF was coached by Joy Williams. Only the third time that these two programs have hooked up since UCF joined Conference USA, Eric. So, um, you know, normally we would say familiarity breeds contempt, but... uh, not in this case. These two schools have not met too many times. No. So this is not a rivalry. This is the, you're going to hear the, not answer. yet. No, we'll see if they ever, if they played moving forward. Uh, but very unique. Uh, obviously did they get to play in the NCAA tournament? Two good stories. You know, Florida hadn't been to the NCAA tournament since 2016. And they ran into a team by the name of Albany that was coached by Coach Abe. Coach Abe, yeah. And, and then she beat the upset Florida in that first round, and you could say in that. the Carrier win- Dome in Syracuse, mind you, Eric Lopez. And I think that win got the attention of Danny White, who hired Abe right after that to come here. So maybe Florida, we should thank Florida for that, uh, that matchup. But you're right, they, they haven't played before. There's not a lot of history here. Uh, it's funny, though, the, the committees in these sports, who you love, you love this tournament stuff. Oh, it's so wide open. They've become like Olympic sports. They pack two Florida teams to go to stores, Connecticut. Are you kidding me? Like it's Bridgeport, Bridgeport, Connecticut. Oh wait, no, no, they're playing at stores. Yeah, that's right. It's the Bridgeport regional. That's right. That's right. Although UConn is the host at Bridgeport, even though they're the two C nice job, women's basketball. Can you get your act together? If you want to get more credibility anyway, um, yeah, I mean, look, the seventh seed, the good news, let's talk about the positive. Seventh seed, highest in program history. Uh, that's huge for them. And I think, obviously, wrapping up, winning the double dip, the regular season, the conference tournament, a veteran team that's been to the tournament, whereas Florida, as I mentioned, hasn't. So a lot of these players haven't been to the NCAA tournament. So I think this is a team that has the advantage from an experience standpoint. The negative is 
They got an absolutely brutal draw. <laughs> First of I, all, unbelievable. If you look at the seven tens, they clearly got the hardest ten. Clearly, yeah. Like it's not even close. And oh yeah, let's send them to Stores, Connecticut. And if you win against Florida, you get to play UConn, a team that's actually familiar with UCF system, which is brutal. Because Kyle. Coach Abe told you this, immediate availability. One of the things that she likes is when she plays a team for the first time, it's hard to prepare for UCF in that defense. Correct. And that's something that it's going to be interesting how Florida adjusts to UCF's defense in this matchup. No, that's a great point. And here's, here's the one thing I think that in the event um, UCF plays UConn, I, I know nobody likes talking ahead, but something they may not be prepared for is how much their defensive stars, whether it be Masni Kaba, Destiny Thomas, Diamond Battles, well, not Diamond Battles with this particular point, but uh, Brittany Smith, everybody, uh, Tay Sanders, everybody has become a better shooter than they were before. So while they're expecting a drag-out fight and may overplay certain things in the low post, it could be another good old-fashioned situation as we've seen Mossity Cobb steps back. Brittany Smith, a.k.a. Brittany Buckets, steps back and starts hitting that high-post shot. Maybe that'll change things up. Whether it's a UConn or... Uh, 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 Florida that makes that adjustment to try to overcompensate, let's say, the ability to shoot in that high post, I think, is going to be what has the potential for UCF to run away early if that happens. Well, this is a, as experienced a UCF team as we're probably ever going to see, at least at this point. Um, you know, with Florida, like you mentioned, Eric, a lot of inexperience there, but you're right. This is the toughest 10 seed uh, in the entire bracket, just to give you some perspective, the other 10 seeds, the three other 10 seeds, South Dakota, all right, uh, Creighton, and Arkansas. But, you know, this is a Florida team that won, I think it was 11 of 12 at one point, but they come in pretty cold. They've lost four of their last five, and they lost their top scorer um, as well in the uh, in their Vander in the game against Vanderbilt that they won in the first round of the uh, NCAA tournament. That was Kiki Smith, um, and this is in addition to another leading scorer that they had um, at the start of the year, Lavender Briggs, who just decided midway through the season that she was going to transfer to to Maryland, hop herself in the board and go transfer. So they're on their third now leading scorer in Zippy Broughton. Only two remaining players in double figures for the season. So, you know, this is going to be a pretty short-handed Florida team that UCF is up against, no? Yeah, and, you know, you're going to get into it with, when we have Chris on. Obviously, Florida's been a fascinating story with all the turmoil they had before the start of the season yeah. on that. But one thing they do still have is size, uh, and that's going to be a big factor there against uh, UCF. But, you know, one of the other advantages that UCF will have in this game, we mentioned the experience, but it's also the familiarity not only of being in the tournament, but even the venue. You know, UCF has played a lot in stores in Connecticut, unfortunately, uh, from UConn's days in the American Conference. In fact, here's Coach Abe from the Selection Show Watch Party on Sunday night. Talk Her reaction to playing Florida, and you'll hear her talk about one of the things she likes about the matchup is where they're playing and why. I think no matter whose name popped up, we'd be excited to play. I think I think some of our players know some of their players. I'm not too sure, but um, you know, the good thing for us is playing in that region and playing in that gym. We've played in that gym before, you know, and I think um, you know the UConn fans are familiar with us, and I, I think the first, at least our first game will have a little bit of a home court advantage because I think they'll probably cheer for us. 
So there you go. There's Coach Abe saying, hey, she's helping UConn fans root for UCF. I don't know if that'll necessarily happen, <laughs> but hey, you know, whatever works to kind of psych yourself out. But uh, look, it's a big matchup. The cool thing about this matchup that I will say is this is going to bring the casual fan. The person that's normally not interested in women's basketball is going to be interested in this game, Kyle, because it is UCF in Florida. And one of the things you learn this week on media availability and talking to Abe Women's basketball is taken very seriously in this state, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And we talk, we're talk. we going to talk uh, with, uh, with that about Chris a bit, too. But I, I wanted to come in specifically to say to you, I know all the time that Eric Lopez is like, it's a football state. It's a football school. Put six teams in the tournament. Listen, I didn't know that. So, uh, I mean, for those out there who, who question the, the, the prowess of women's basketball in the state, Plant yourself in front of the TV this weekend, folks. You're going to get some quality play out of out of uh, the Sunshine State without question. It, it, it's it's very interesting to have that. And I say that to, to to jump into this too. Like, how often are you in a position where I didn't never I never expected to hear a question about women's basketball while I'm in a room in a press conference for. Uh, Coach Malzahn, but sure enough, referencing the Gasparilla Bowl, UF and Florida playing each yeah. other in the postseason again is a thing. That should be all the evidence you need, you know? No, it's going to be tremendous. I just wish they had a better time slot. Right. 3.30 on ESPN News. Are you kidding me? Meanwhile, they put UConn's yeah. scrimmage against Mercer on ABC. I mean, nice job. I mean, give me a break. Well, you hey. knew that was happening because everyone uh, gets uh, – Yeah, let's uh, let, yeah. let's put a 60-point game on ABC. Great job. That's a great way to promote the sport. Um, yeah. But, look, Kyle, I do want to bring up because Abe – and I, you know, I, I, you know, by the way, all of the media availabilities for UCF women's basketball, courtesy of our own Kyle Nash, is on our YouTube channel. Make sure you check that out, including Kyle's conversation with Coach Abe. And, I'm glad you brought up the six teams in the state of Florida. The, women's basketball is a tr is rich here in the state of Florida. And we've gotten a lot of comments about why is women's basketball so successful and the men's is not. Well, let me give you a real quick comparison. The women's has six teams in the field. The men have one. Why? Because the best talent in the state of Florida actually stay in the state of Florida. Yeah. There's, there's also stability in the coaches. Jose Fernandez, you and I have covered, Jeff, has been at USF forever. Heck, you and I, I think, would argue he probably could be the men's coach and be successful over there. Sue Semerau at FSU has been there forever. And the Florida Gulf Coast coach has been there forever. That's why they've built a great top 25 program there. Lynn is at Stetson. Lynn Bria and Stetson yeah. as well. There's stability and the players stay, whereas in the men's side, all the good talent leave the state. The Vince Carters of the world, uh, the Tracy McGrady's, you name them, they all leave the state. And that's why the women's are, are it's actually in a better position to succeed in this state than the men's basketball side. Is. Here's another point to that. And and I think, th I think this part gets underrated. I was thinking about this this morning. Florida schools you know, obviously women's basketball budgets, nowhere near what we see on the men's side. And, you know, and, and even that's even the case at UCF. And we've talked about how UCF's budget really does struggle. And UCF has done a pretty good job of keeping good talent, at, at least recently under Johnny Dawkins, keeping good talent in state, you know, like Isaiah Adams was Mr. Basketball in the state of Florida. He, he could have gone anywhere. He decided to stay here. But when you're a women's basketball program, you got to get what you can on, you know, relatively speaking, inexpensively. And Florida has the Bright Future Scholarship, okay? And when you have that, you have to take advantage of that as much as humanly possible to keep 
your budget in line. You can't pay out-of-state tuition for very many for very many players. So you have to recruit hard in state because that's really all you can afford. A hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree. And it helps when you have coaches that know where to go to find the talent, right? Because right? when you're here for a while, you know which areas. Katie Meyer, I forgot to mention, at Miami, she's been there a while. It's not a coincidence. The program that hasn't had the most success in women's basketball in the state is Florida. Why? Because they haven't had consistency in the coaching front there. You know, right. Amanda Butler was there for a while, but then they moved on from her. Then they hired a coach who's been dismissed. And we'll Cameron, get into New, guy, Cameron Newbauer, which, which we talked which with, with, with Chris. We'll get about, in with yeah. Chris here in a little bit. Carolyn Peck was there for a while, but they haven't had the stability that the other programs in the state have. And I think that's why Abe likes it here a lot. And she's told us, Jeff, and she's told you, Kyle, she's felt that this state is a gold mine. That's why I don't believe, to contrary to some, that's why I think she's here for the long haul. And certainly the move to the Big 12 will help that uh, because there is a gold mine here because of the reasons, Jeff, you brought up. It's a great point. You have some advantages in the state of Florida here from keeping talent and developing them. Yep. Oh, heck, I'll, I'll even add this too. Like the Big 12 names, it may it may be seen as just a scrappy up-and-comer youth conference in football, but in basketball, it's legit. And having that Big 12 title thing, like when you're recruiting basketball, hey, you can be set aside in that SEC where they don't care as much. Come to the Big 12. You know, I think that's something that's a big deal too. Yeah, I agree. Gonna, I agree. Yeah, that's that's going to be a big a big chip going forward. All right, let's talk a little bit more about the Florida Gators. UCF's opponent in the first round with an old buddy of ours, Chris Pinson from WCJB and Games. We talked to him a little bit earlier. Here's our interview with Chris. Joining us now on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, an old buddy of mine, an old broadcast partner of mine, actually from way back in the day doing UCF baseball. Uh, he is now the, he, uh, despite that, he is now the uh, sports anchor on weekends for the ABC affiliate in Gainesville, WCJV TV 20. He's a UCF graduate, uh, but we won't hold it against him that he covers the Florida <laughs> Gators on a regular basis. Chris Pinson joins us for the first time. What's up, Chris? Jeff, Sharon, what's going on, man? Man, it's been a while. I mean, you were, uh, you were doing, after you graduated from UCF, you were doing radio. Now you find yourself on TV. Man, how did you pull that <laughs> off? Uh, trust me, it took a long eight years after graduating to finally land in this spot. But uh, honestly, Jeff, man, it's it's been a load of fun to be able to cover the Gators now for going on three years. You know, just seeing really what it's like to be at a different institution. You know, because again, you as you mentioned, you and I did a few baseball games together. I did some PA work for volleyball, which I know you do as well. So uh, it's been a lot of fun to cover Florida. And uh, so believe me, uh, this matchup is going to be tugging on the heartstrings. <laughs> All right. Well, well, I, you know, I was thinking of you right off the bat when we got that first round matchup. UCF is the seventh seed uh, in the Bridgeport Regional playing against the 10 seed Florida Gators. Um, UCF is coming in hot, Chris, you know, AC champions. But I want to talk to you about the team that you've covered all this year, Florida. They're 21 and 10 overall. Net ranking of 45. Kelly Ray Finley, I think, has done a pretty, uh, you know, she's actually a nominee for the Naismith Coach of the Year Award coming in after they had some turmoil in the program and has really um, kind of, you know, righted the shit yeah. in Gainesville. Um, the first thing that UCF fans want to know is what's the deal with Florida this year coming into this game? Well, see that Jeff, that's the hard part, right? Because at, at one point during the season from January 9th to February 17th, this team won 11 of 12 games and knocked off four top 25 opponents. 
However, closing out the last five games of their season, including the SEC women's tournament, they lost four or five. And so right now, you know, UF is on kind of on the decline and including, you know, a major injury during the tournament that set back the Gators by losing Kiki Smith, leading scorer, you know, graduate student, good chance she might go to the WNBA averaging 15 points a game. So, you know, they still got Zippy Broad and they still got Jordan Merritt, the Weiss sisters. You know, they've got a few different pieces they can work with, but in my mind, they're kind of on the decline. As for your Knights, as you mentioned, right, you guys won the conference tournament. You guys are on the rise. I mean, I think it's going to be a bit of a challenge, even for Kelly Ray Finley, who took over a team, you know, in the fall and winter. And I mean, everybody in Gaines was like, all right, Cam Newbauer is gone. He left under before the allegations rose. We don't really know much about her, but she was an assistant. And there was all this questioning about you know, what was her role in that? And, you know, what, what can she do with a team that her peers, her SEC coaches believed was going to be a bottom four team. And now, all right, they're they're in the tournament, but again, without Kiki Smith, without that leading score and that true spark plug, uh, it might be a tough road to hoe against the Knights. That that four that four of five stretch that they're mm-hmm. on right now, they've lost four out of five. Has that been since Kiki's injury? No. Uh, so she got uh, she was injured uh, against Vanderbilt in that 53-52-1. Uh, it was late in the game, freak play. She was driving inside. Uh, she was driving inside down the right side of the paint. And from the replay that I've seen in regular time and in slow motion, it looked like she went to step with her right foot. It kind of got caught almost like a skate on the ice. And then when she went to step again, it's like her knee popped out. And so, you know, since then, somehow they pulled off that win and we're happy they did. But again, without her production, her leadership, her veteran presence on the court in the big moments where she thrives, uh, it's going to be tough to contend with UCF. But hey, it's one game and you and I know, Jeff, if you don't show up and play your best, you can go home. Go ahead, Kyle. Yeah, um, first of all, great to have you in, Chris. Something I wanted to run past you real quick. Um, I was talking to Coach Abe, and you being very conveniently uh, representing uh, one of the six schools in the tournament from Florida. Listen, we hear about all the time how Florida is such a fertile space, but I was surprised to hear six Florida teams. Is that something we should be talking more about, how many Florida teams are in this tournament? That's a great point, right? Again, it's kind of shocking at how good this Florida team has been to be one of those six, because you look back, you know, the 2015-2016 team was the last women's team to get into the big dance. You know, they were, what, 22-9. and They had gone four or five that season against top 20 opponents. And this year's team, I'm telling you, I don't think anybody, a true fan or even, even a person like myself who covers a team, we didn't know what to expect especially when leading scorer and star sophomore Lavender Briggs decided she was going to leave Florida and go to Maryland. I mean, none of us thought that Kelly Ray Finley could do this. So the fact that she was able to turn this around, UCF is a hot team as well. I mean, it's cool to, to kind of look at Florida and say, hey, you know, it's not just one or two teams this year from the Sunshine State. As you mentioned, it's six teams. And so I'm hoping this isn't just, you know, some outlier year. I'm hoping this is a long-standing success. And since Florida finally did ink Kelly Ray Finley to that five-year, $3.7 million deal earlier this month, I'm hoping she's going to be a part of that longevity for the Sunshine State. 
But yeah, you mentioned the Naismith uh, Award candidacy there. One, just definitely happy to see the ink if you're a, a Gator fan for that to happen. Um, take me in a little bit, like you mentioned, uh, Kiki being injured and all that. Uh, take me in a little bit of what what you think their identity is on the court. Like clearly, UCF is you know uh, defensive. They will they will play physical. Um, I wear my uh, tie with the '90s NBA logos because I think that's kind of the. <laughs> identity they have as a squad okay. that, you know you know they're going to beat you down um in the post and, and and be physical um it's not that they can't shoot the three they just choose not to and, and attack you that way what's kind of the gators identity on the floor on the floor this is just a scrappy team you know they know that they're not the biggest inside yeah they got the white sisters who are kind of undersized sometimes they play low um you, you got faith dude down low as well jordan mayor tries to do her best yeah, but when you're going up against like the Aaliyah Boston's and the other big dogs down low in the paint, their main focus is just to put bodies on people, try to beat you up, try to really wear you down. I mean, you know, they, they dive all over the floor. This team is just scrappy because they know they're not the biggest. They're not the fastest. They don't have, you know, all these top four and five star players. They're a team that just seems to be assembled in such a unique way that gives them a chance that, if they knock down a few shots, if they can keep from committing those 16 turnovers they average a game, and they can take a few back and score off that in transition, they're going to be right there in every game. I mean, that's why it was so shocking when they went on that run four or five games. You know, you beat Texas A&M, Kentucky at Kentucky. You beat LSU. You beat Tennessee at home. You beat Georgia. I mean, they clobbered Georgia. It It's just because that they are feisty. And even though – they're not the most talented team across the board. They still find a way to do that. And I think that's truly because Kelly Ray family, after every game, win or lose, she goes into great length talking about the family environment, the orientation of this team, and how it is so centered on this team being full of not just individuals, but young people growing together through all the good things, through the mental struggles of you know being an athlete, through the on-court pressure, through how they walk through all of it. And so... Again, I don't know what magic she sprinkled in the water, but she does one heck of a job developing and getting the most out of her players, even against teams that sometimes they may not be able to beat, but they come out on top, and that's what a great coach does. Sometimes oh, yeah. it's addition by subtraction too, though, isn't it, Chris? Because, like, the, 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 the allegations against Newbauer were pretty serious. I mean, that was, you know, we, I, I, I followed some of what was going on with, you know, our old uh, compatriot, Zach Goodall, yeah. Um, who, you know, really held the administration to account on on that. And, you know, it, it and credit to Kelly Ray for rallying the troops and 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 getting them to it seems to me enjoy enjoy basketball again. Oh, a thousand percent, Jeff. This team seems to truly love each other. They they play so hard for each other. And you know, when you got a team, no matter what skill level, and they truly care about each other, and it's not full of team of eyes, it's a team full of we's, that makes them very dangerous. Um, one thing that I can tell you that was shocking to me was I remember I was at the press conference for the post game when I found out that, hey, this is weird. Lavender Briggs is no longer on the team. And she's like, yeah, you know, she's going to transfer out. We wish her the best of luck. And Kiki Smith was next to her, and so was Jordan Merritt, and they had good things to say as well. And that could have been a show. But it didn't seem to be that way. It just seemed to be that no matter who was going to be left in that locker room, that's all they cared about. That was the team that they wanted to go headfirst in, you know, into the breach with. And because of that, I, 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 I can't tell you what the magic is, but this team just fights like crazy, man. They don't care who they're up against. Yeah, they might not be as tall or as fast, but they come out and they play hard. 
you know, I, I wish they could make a few more free throws because they only average 12 a game and shoot 73%. But they've made a few critical buckets down the stretch, whether it's Zippy Broaden in transition or Zippy making free throws. I mean, it's it's funny that this team, again, doesn't have the pedigree in the last few years that you would say, yeah, they'll come up clutch in these crucial moments. But, man, when it's come down to it this season, a lot of times they have made those key plays you have to. And I credit that to Kelly Ray Finley, and which is also why – Jeff, I think she's going to have long-term success here because, you know, if she was just some maybe Pat's even assistant who they've given the interim tag to to say, yeah, good luck with this team. But she is the reason why Zippy Broughton came to Florida. You know, she was up there at Rutgers and and Kelly Ray tried to um, get her to come to Florida originally and recruit her. And so, again, with Kelly Ray's leadership, she gets girls to buy in. She gets girls to stay put. And since she's been in the system and she knows how it works, Whatever magic she has in her up her sleeve, she's used it very well. So uh, I really think that this team is is destined for great things in the future. And I hope again, I hope they have success when they play UCF. It's going to be tough, but uh, either way, this this team is going to be coming out there all hands on deck. I mean, listen, fanhood aside, I, I I'm looking for one of those black and blue uh, games, you know. <laughs> and and I'm listen, I got my popcorn ready, Chris. Let me tell you. Um, with, with that in mind, like you mentioned, the scrap and the undersized um, personality aspect, um, I'm picking up, too, that they kind of play co- as a collective with the family identity uh, and all that. When you have a group that identifies well um, in the post, I know that's the first thing that I heard from Coach Abe and a couple of the players that they saw first. Um, they sound scrappy enough, though, to jump out and cover the arc to get those outlet passes too. I think that's going to be central to this game for both sides. What about you? Yeah, right. Obviously the transition is going to be key. I mean, again, to me, this game's going to come down to turnovers and being able to take advantage of that the most with this team, you know, again, they're, they're not, they're not the biggest inside, but as you mentioned, they're quick, right. And they're able to move from corner to corner, cover the baseline, cover the perimeter pretty well. And I think that's a key, as you said, in this matchup, because you have to be able to get those closeouts. You know, the best thing any great offense does is truly drive, draw, and dish. But if you can if you can read and anticipate and you can see that coming in, you can put those hand ups, right? Even a half contested shot is still a contested shot. Right. Um, you know, the thing I would say for UCF is you got to watch out for Alberto Remdahl. You know, this freshman from overseas in Europe, this young lady, she can shoot the three-pointer. Now, she only averages about 31%, so it's not a scary percentage. But there was a stretch where she had back-to-back games where she knocked down five consecutive three-pointers. She went five for five in back-to-back games. No freshman had done that before. And Again, she can be streaky, but if she gets the hot hand, man, then the Knights are going to be in trouble and the Gators are going to be cooking. So, yeah, it's going to be fun to watch how this game is played because – you know, I know all three of us have watched basketball as long as we've been alive, and we've seen how this game has transformed from down low, war zone, paint battle to it's almost a three-point competition now. So I'm interested to see how both coaches mix up the looks and how they funnel their offenses against each other in, you know, in these second-by-second adjustments. Yeah, that's sort of that's – oh, sorry, Kyle, go ahead. I was just going to quickly say I'll hand it back to you after that, Jeff. Like, it's very interesting you mentioned the chuck it from the cheap seats mentality – um, coach Katie Abrahamson Henderson, Coach Abe, as she's known here, so I don't have to okay. look at that. <laughs> um, refers to that style of play as pretty ball. Uh, but here's pretty the ball. thing I could see why she's a little bitter about it, too, because this time last year they had actually lost to USF on the strength of the fact that they were just successfully chucking it from the cheap seats. 
So you have definitely identified the one thing I think that can't be stopped is if another team gets hot from the three-point range, you know, um, there, there's going to be trouble for UCF. Yeah, it, it could. But again, like I said, with this team, you know, they don't shoot the greatest from the outside. They only make six threes a game. Uh, so it could be a streaky performance. But we know that once once somebody starts making one and you make another, right, that hoop, it goes from being a basket and a hoop to being, hey, I can throw a beach ball in the ocean. Uh, so believe me, I'm looking forward to see how both teams come out because for Florida, making your first appearance in the tournament since the 2015-2016 season when none of these girls were on the team, I mean, that's, again, that's a lot of pressure. But both teams are battle-tested. Both teams have won crunch time games. And that's what I think is going to be the best part about this matchup is that they're not afraid to say, hey, this is a big moment. Who wants the ball? And everyone's going to raise their hand. And that's why I think this game is going to be hopefully down to the wire. And it's going to come down to somebody making a play when it has to be made. Chris, from the UF perspective, what does UCF have to do to win the game? What's, what's, what, what are the, what are the keys for UCF to shut down what Florida does because remember this is in UCF this is the number one scoring defense in the country they're averaging giving up just 47 and a half points per game which is actually top 10 all time in the history of division one if the season ended today so what what if if UCF is going to win this game what will have happened on the Florida side uh, I mean, obviously, right, playing defense is going to be key for them. Uh, again, Florida averages 69 points a game. You know, they do give up 65 a game. So if UCF starts getting hot, watch out for them to start scoring. It will, I think, maybe. Um, the key for UCF to shut down Florida is it's going to come down, I think, honestly, to guard play. Zippy Broaden has been the best one-two punch for Kiki Smith. I mean, those two together are just so fast and quick, it's dangerous. But now without Kiki Smith – that's taking away the strength of the offense because she was such a great player with left and right defensively. I mean, that girl could get in the paint with a floater. She could knock down a three. She was dangerous. But without her on the floor, it is now basically Zippy Broaden's team and offense to kind of run because she is so fast and she's a fearless senior and she's not afraid to go at any player and try to take them on one-on-one. -on -one. So you've got Zippy, you've got Jordan Merritt who can play inside, but she can knock down the three. UCF's key is to stop Zippy Broaden. She's the catalyst. If she's the one, and she only averages 11 points a game, but like I said, she can get hot. She put up, I think, a, a team-high 22 points against AM in that first key victory on January 9th. Um, so if, if UCF can limit her, if they can really keep her in the box per se, then it's going to force everybody else on the floor and going to get the bench involved. Um, you know, Emmanuel Oliveira is a senior. She's a, she's a taller player down low in the post. She can hurt you inside and outside as well. But again, she only averages like six points a game. So you've got a bunch of players that collectively can score together to get where you need to be to win games. But Zippy's the key. If you can limit her and take her out of the offense and, and make her make others create their own shot, force that rotation to another pass to get it to somebody who may not be as consistent shooting from the outside or from the perimeter, then I think UCF can probably win this game, you know, by double digits. But if they don't limit Zippy and she starts creating and facilitating, then it's going to be a real ball game. Yeah. And, and looking at the numbers that bears out because, you know, for the season, Zippy is the top remaining score at 10 and yeah. a half a game for the year. But in conference play, she's averaging 13.7. So she's really stepped up in that second half of the year. Last word to Kyle. Go ahead, man. 
Yeah, Liz, uh, definitely. Um, uh, by the way, what I'm hearing so far, it, it definitely sounds like it's going to be uh, Zippy versus Diamond battles if at any point we <laughs> go to men. Man to man defense or person to person defense. I'm, I mean, yeah. that, that in itself is something I'm looking forward to. I mentioned Diamond Battles. You've obviously heard the name, Chris, from the UF perspective. What can you say about her? I mean, what can't you say about it? That, that girl, that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. These two are going to go toe to toe. And they're both, in my mind, very similar. They're both strong willed. They're not afraid to take on another team. They're not afraid to have the ball in their hands and lead this offense, which is what makes this battle so much fun to probably watch. Um, again, I think for Kelly Ray Finley, it's it's. I feel like this game is going to be almost an identical chess match blueprint, right? Because you know if you can limit battle, then you're going to be in a good stead because she's also the catalyst. She's the one that sets everything up. She knows how to run the offense. And so I'm really wondering if both coaches aren't going to be on the same hamster wheel, just running 8 million miles an hour, trying to figure out what to do and how to limit them. And honestly, guys, like that's why I love sports like – hockey and basketball because they're so fast paced and every single thing that happens in the flow of the game it's you know it, it's it's a split second you know possession by possession adjustment and that's what these coaches are getting paid top dollar for to make those adjustments to get your team in position to hopefully have that player you've recruited you've brought in to make those plays so between diamond and zippy believe me we're going to find out real quick which team is gonna? Which team's pressure is gonna build them into a diamond, and which one's gonna bust their pipes? Mm. That's why. That's why he works. He's the he's the weekend sports anchor for <laughs> TV Twenty, the ABC affiliate in Gainesville. UCF taught him well. UCF graduate Chris Pinson covering the Gators. Chris, where can uh, UCF fans uh, follow you for all the latest leading up to uh, Saturday's game? Of course, hey, you know you can always check me out. I'm, I'm right there on Twitter. Uh, TV 20, Chris, check me out there. Again, I, I do all the Gator stuff as much as I can. We cover 30 high schools as well. So uh, believe me, it's a busy slate. But Jeff, as you know, springtime is the busiest time of the year. It's the most fun as well. Plus, spring football is now here. So uh, if you are interested in any kind of Gator football content, we're pumping that one out too. That's your cool, cool stuff. Chris Pinson, thanks for joining us here on the Black and Gold Banner. Are you going up to Connecticut for the game? Uh, I am not. Uh, if oh, if they make it, to, if they make it to a certain level, then I then I've gotten the okay for management. But as of right now, you know the whole budget thing. So What's a certain level, you know, if the winner of this game plays UConn, like yeah. what level is there? <laughs> uh, I, I I will um, I will defer to the answer. It's above my pay grade, sir. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully, hopefully they can put, they can pull together that budget and send you up there uh, at least in the future for this. Uh, if, if, if not for, well, here, I'm, I'm not, listen, <laughs> I, I, I hope you don't play UConn. Okay. I'm just being <laughs> honest with you. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> but if you have to, I hope that, you know, if it, if it turns out, I hope they find some extra cash to send you up there. Chris, thanks for joining us, man. It's good to talk to you. Take it easy. All right. Hey, Jeff, always, man. Take care, all right? Thanks to Chris. Um, love having him on there. He and I he's used my to guy, man. Baseball. Yeah, he's what a dude. Uh, what a dude. So happy. He has busted his butt to get where he is. And 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 the folks in Gainesville don't know how lucky they are to have a guy working, working that beat um, like him. All right, Kyle Nash, we'll go to you. Um, your thoughts on how this game is going to go. Well, 3.30 I mean, well, Saturday, UCF against Florida. How's this going to play out? Well, hey, first off, too, I had just met Chris and I thought he was awesome. So there you go. Uh, but, um, you know, I like the way he broke it down to 
these two teams seem to have very similar identities. Now, granted, Florida uh, was kind of crowbarred into it because of the injuries and things like that. But UCF, uh, 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 they're both that scrappy team that tries to operate more as a collective rather than relying on a star. Now, you know, granted, Zimpy's the next highest scorer uh, player for Florida, but her versus Diamond Battles is probably going to be a focal point matchup um, and could decide the outcome of the game. But where I think the most, the two most important things in my mind are who gets off to the hotter start, right? If they both get off to a hot start, this can actually neutralize itself. But I'm mostly citing U uh, UCF here. If they um, have one of these uh, starts where they don't score for the first, you know, five minutes or something, that's going to be wildly problematic. The other big thing, and I think this is true for both teams, is the ability to guard the kickout pass from the post. Both these teams are able to 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 do their own thing in the paint. I know that Chris referred uh, to uh, the squad as uh, undersized for Florida. I'm not necessarily buying that so much because I think, you know, both 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 sets of post players do have an ele element of agility and finesse to them. So to call them undersized is to really kind of negate that here. I think you have two two sets that are basically, you know, able to execute a ballet in the paint while also knocking you on your butt. <laughs> but that, that ability to kick the ball out, to hit that three, to to really put in the dagger when the opportunity is there is huge. Obviously, you know, saying turnovers is a big part of the game. Um, it, 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 it's a big part of any game. I think it's accented in this game mostly because of the opportunity to get points off turnovers. And I think that comes in the form of getting those good looks behind the arc on occasion when you do those hitting and also, you know, um, the rebounding numbers, I think, are going to be a big factor as well. If if the Florida team is truly undersized, Destiny Thomas, Masini Kamba, Brittany Smith will all take advantage. And, hey, I, I would not be surprised if we get a big uh, number from Brittany Buckets again um, as they try to figure out her mid-range kind of Horace Grant shot ability there. Along the lines of what you were saying, Kyle, when Florida leads with five minutes to play, they're 16 and one on the year. Wow. When they trail with five minutes to play, they're five and nine. That is Eric, well, your, Eric, well, Eric, yeah. your thoughts. Well, they're two teams that are, they like to play from ahead and win with their defense. I'm with you, Kyle. I think the Florida size is a little more. They're big uh, that UCF will see compared to what UCF has seen in the American Conference. I expect both teams to pack the paint and dare the other team to beat them from the perimeter. I think this is a rock fight, and I think it's similar. It's going to be a similar game, Kyle, to the one that you covered, I think, back in December when UCF and Arkansas. Remember how tight that was? Low 50s, came down to last possession. I think we're going to see a similar game. Uh, I do think I'll pick UCF because I like the experience and the familiarity of being in the tournament. But that could also be a negative because sometimes you put a little more pressure on yourself. Like, hey, we got to get this win. I wish they – it sounds weird. I actually would rather this team have been an eight and play NC State <laughs> than be in this bracket. Interesting. Or be, or, or be a seven and play Baylor. You bring up the Big 12. I would have loved to have seen how they would have matched up with a, in the Baylor side. Same here. To see, hey, what's the difference? Because Baylor's the team to beat in the Big 12 once UCF gets there. How do they match up with them? How close is that gap? I would have loved to have seen that instead of what we're going to see this weekend. But uh, look, no matter what happens beyond this, if they can win this game, remember, this is like the biggest uh, exclamation point to the season. You, uh, I know that you were talking, the word you're using, Kyle, is iconic team. 
Is this team an iconic team? I think if they win the first ever NCAA tournament win in program history on Saturday against Florida, against Florida, <laughs> this team will be iconic. Yeah, I mean, that's a big feather in the cap. I'll put it this way. There are at least four players and a coach that agree with you that this team is iconic. Yeah. And then if they may, if they somehow do that and beat UConn. Well, that's not good. That's not good. Then. That's not, hey, let's not think that, that far. Point, another term I've been using is playing with house money. In this state, Jeff, they don't need to beat you. If they beat Florida, that is the story. Oh, yeah. You can play with house house money. money, Right. And and UCF won't hear. And I will say, UCF's always had a history of defending UConn very well. The problem is, UConn is a two seed hiding, really, is is hiding. They're a one seed seed. hiding under a two. Right. And the reason they're a two seed is because their best player, Paige Beckers, who's going to be a future WNBA superstar, would be the player of the year if she didn't get hurt. She's back. She missed most of the year with a knee injury. If they were healthy, they would be a one seed, and we wouldn't even have to deal with this. But, you know, it is what it is. They still got right. to do without her. That's accomplishment. Yes, it is. 3.30 p.m., ESPN News, UCF against Pam Florida. Pam Ward calling the game. Wait, Pam Ward on the game. U- UConn plays Mercer in the first round. <laughs> Old day sun foe uh, for yeah, UCF, and that game would be layup. played on uh, Monday. Time to be determined in the second round. All right. We get back. We got more to talk about baseball, softball, nationals, and track and field. Plenty more to go here. Plus a little football, Kyle. Football's back, Kyle. Little football news. Spring spring practice firing up as well. Stick around. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We are back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Kyle Nash with you once again as we flip over a couple things we want to talk about here. Men's basketball and football. One obviously over, the other one just beginning, sort of. Um, the uh, let's let's talk, let's put a wrap on the men's basketball season here. Um, as this is, we're recording this on Thursday, St. Patrick's Day, March Madness officially underway with the uh, first round games of the NCAA tournament. And I went back and looked at this. Um, UCF played eight games this year against NCAA tournament teams and went three and five against them. Uh, they beat Miami, lost to Auburn, uh, Miami a 10 seed, Auburn a two seed, beat Michigan an 11 seed, beat Memphis once a nine seed. Lost both games to five-seed Houston, lost at Memphis, and then, of course, lost the neutral site game in the tournament uh, to Memphis to finish 18-12 and 12 on the year. Hey, got the victory last Thursday against South Florida. Shouldn't, you know, be too upset about that. Um, you know, it was tight, but it's a tournament game. You expect it to be tight, especially in a game where you don't have Isaiah Adams. You don't have Brandon Mahan. Mahan was back, but kind of was, you could tell he was limited against yeah. Memphis. Yeah. Um, uh, Isaiah did not play that said, you know, it, it was looking ugly to start out. And then all of a sudden UCF goes on a run, gets to the three, but just couldn't get over the hump. And Memphis just did Memphis things uh, in the course. Of the day. I mean, I mean, they, they've actually, they're a, that's a much different team than we saw. At the, at the beginning of the year when UCF beat them. Uh, yeah, ever it, since they basically stopped playing Bates, they're a better team. Yeah, and Bates is not even in the, on the roster, I think, anymore. Is that no. right, Eric? Uh, I mean, he technically is, but they, you know, they're not really – they're, they're a much better team. Chemistry-wise, they're a lot better team. As we're recording this, they're destroying Boise State in that fraudulent Mountain West Conference, So, uh, which I know <laughs> – which will make uh, Mike Oresco very happy. But uh, – 
Yeah, I mean, that's you're right. I mean, Memphis is a completely different team. Michigan, by the way, just wrapped up. They're in the second round. They could be a Sweet 16 team. So uh, there were, you know, it's just it's part of the scheduling there. But yeah, Matt, they ran in. I told you guys, we talked about this, right, Kyle? They need you, you guys, to, to both your credit, for about a handful of episodes, get to the top five seed and get that by and avoid Memphis. And yeah. they didn't get and couldn't and they do didn't that. Get it. And yeah. they ran into a buzzsaw. Well, yeah, and I think the thing, Jeff, not that your rundown wasn't perfect, but I think there's one very key element that we keep forgetting constantly as the season concludes. The missing of Darren Green Jr. in that two-lane game, in my mind, was the thing that sealed the deal. The previous pod leading into that uh, into, into that game, we were all pretty confident they would make that fifth seat. Make that fifth seat. Nobody told me Darren Green wasn't going to be playing that game right to change my bleeding answer. They're not winning any games without Darren Green Jr. And oh, by the way, that Memphis game showed you that. We could say what we were. We can't. We can't about uh, uh, Jalen Duran and 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 DeAndre Williams and and the amazing guard play they had. Um, they had one guard. I uh, I always Mr. get Canones. Yeah, Canones. I can. Yeah. I think Quinn one's in my head because that's how you spell it. And I'm <laughs> trying to write it and spell it correctly. But, but Canones. Listen, five for five from three at one point. Just damn, okay? If you don't have Darren Green Jr. to answer for that, of course you're not going to win the basketball game. And we mentioned, you mentioned chemistry, Elo. Um, I believe DeAndre Williams was not in the roster. Meanwhile, Jalen Durham throws him an alley-oop from the yeah. from a, a post player yeah. to a post player alley-oop. You don't yeah. see that ish. Yeah, Williams, no. didn't, Williams didn't play in the game in Orlando. Right. So yeah, He was hurt. I mean, you know, there was so much stuff there that 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 was different in that game. And listen, what I will say is if you have plenty of credit to Darius Perry, who had a fantastic game to go out on, albeit on a losing effort. And if you didn't see the play of Dre Fuller and Jameel Reynolds and not be at least a little bit good about what you have, at least as part of your base coming to the next year, you're just wrong. And you want to feel bad th- about things in life every single day. Well, you hope Fuller. You don't know if Fuller comes back. Remember, he's a senior. He did walk on senior day. That's yeah. true. Which, you know, makes you Usually wonder. an indication he might not be coming. We right. don't know for sure yet. But right. the COVID world, you really don't know. Listen, there have been players who walk for the ladies team that are now part of their iconic season. Sure. No, that's why you don't know. We don't know until you know. Yeah. Blame the um, Rona. But one thing is for sure, there's going to be a lot of new faces on the roster, a lot of people departing, and Coach Dawkins addressed that after the Memphis game about what this offseason is going to look like. Well, we have to, you know, really be focused in the offseason. You know, we have to continue to get better. Uh, you know, we have a number of seniors that will be departing, and so, of course, we're bringing in some younger players, and we'll be looking to bring in some some more experienced players to kind of to balance our team out. But the main thing is, it's all about getting better. You know, we have to use the, the lessons that we've learned from this season and in this tournament. And we have to grow from it. And uh, the players that are returning that were in that locker room, I think they understand that. That was Johnny Dawkins following the uh, Memphis game and the post game. And that's going to be the big question here, guys, is obviously there's going to be a lot of new faces. Darren Green, you hope, comes back, third-team all-conference. Isaiah Adams obviously did not have the year that he had in his freshman year. He had a sophomore jinx. I believe if Isaiah Adams has the year like he did in his freshman year, I think we're this team is still playing basketball right now. I really do. That's, you know, there's those are, you know, when you're in a program like UCF basketball, and I think some of the fans don't understand this, your room for air is very thin. 
Mm-hmm. Like Memphis has a ton of space for room for air, right? Yeah. Like they went through all the drama and Penny Hardaway cussing the the media and everything. But because they have so much talent, because they're Memphis, Penny Hardaway is the only coach in the American that can literally recruit a first round NBA lottery type prospect. That's it. That's because it's Memphis. They have the backing. That's a basketball school. We're not that. So when you're UCF, everything has to go just right. And when things like an Isaiah Adams not having a great year, whether it be Darren Green missing the Tulane game, as you bring up Kyle, Brandon Mayhem missing some time, whatever, things that's how things maybe, as a result, that affects your season and maybe not go perfectly. Like everybody wants to bring up, the B.J. Taylor Taco Fall NCAA Tournament year. Oh, well, Johnny Dawkins, you won with Donnie Jones players. Well, first of all, Donnie Jones didn't win with Donnie Jones players. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't understand. Like, I don't know what the argument is there. And plus, they don't make the tournament without Aubrey Dawkins, who doesn't come to UCF without Johnny Dawkins. That's but people forget that team could have, should have, would have made the tournament a year earlier, except right. – Aubrey everybody Dawkins, got hurt. Everybody got hurt. And again, it goes back to my point, room for air. And just this team just didn't have that. They didn't have the room for air. Uh, and they just, they weren't in sync. It, we, how many times, Kyle, did we talk on this podcast about Darren Green, Brandon Mayhem, can they be consistent together? Can they get it in sync? They never really figured that out. And it's a shame. I feel for Mbake Jong, who yeah. was fantastic internal. Let's give a shout out yeah. to him. He was fantastic uh, production. And I feel bad that, we didn't, uh, you know, fulfill that because I know he wanted to make a tournament there. But, you know, that's the story of this year. There was just a team that was just not perfect and uh, not consistent enough. Hey, but for what it's worth, I'm very grateful for Bakke and him bringing in what he did. I love watching post play like he has. Not to take anything away from your guy, C.J. Walker, Jeff, but listen. I never saw CJ Walker block somebody and give me the Mutumbo finger wag and have every right to do that. So. Ain't, that's that's not CJ's demo. Maybe next year. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, well, I, hope, now, it's going to be interesting, though. It's going to well, be. Interesting. Well, let's let's take a look real quick at the roster. These yeah. are the guys who are who are listed as juniors or younger. OK, CJ okay. Walker, Darren Green, Jr. Tony Both of them Johnson should Jr. be back if they right. Have to. Tony Johnson Jr. is still listed on the roster. Sean Mobley's not. Remember, we haven't seen any either of them. I don't know what happened with Tony. Uh, question mark. I think we only pencil him in for right now. So Ty Freeman, Isaiah Adams, Jameel Reynolds, Darius Johnson. And then you have PJ Edwards and Xavier Rhodes, who redshirted this year, should be ready for next year. Uh, you got a couple of recruits coming in next year, but you don't know what you're going to get from freshmen. I actually think you got a nice little core here. I was about right? to say, you could put a starting five together with. Yeah. That, right? uh, like if I, if I'm listening to, all right, I'm putting, I, I'm, I'm putting Darius Johnson, Darren Green Jr. In the backcourt. Isaiah is my three. And then Walker and Reynolds, right? Walker, Walker and Reynolds. Like that's, that's, that's a good one with Ty coming off the bench too. That's a good, what? that's a good, that's a good top six dudes. Well, the big takeaway too, the big positive this year is the, the, Darius Johnson's growth and the experience he got. He's going to be the face of this program, I believe, next year and beyond. 100%. I expect this staff will add some transfers to it. We also may have to expect some transfer departures just because that's the world we're in now in sports, guys. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I, I, kinda cr- I cringe while we're like looking ahead and projecting lineups. Like, 
I miss those days. I enjoy. I used to write those articles. Those days are over because uh, it's a day to day. I mean, look what we've seen with football and all the other sports. So let's well, hope. Maybe, maybe not. Remember what we said? Like what? One third of guys find a new home. Yeah, don't do no. it. Yeah, but, you know, the two things I think Coach Dawkins and the staff will address the offseason, obviously the roster, it is what it is. We'll see how that plays out. I think chemistry, I think, will be got to be better. I don't think the chemistry was exactly it. Like, you compare that to the women. I know it's not a fair comparison. Kyle, you've been at both games. You could tell the difference. That women's team, man, that bench is going crazy when the you – know, I mean, they're tight. They're unit. You could tell. I do believe in that. I believe that's a big part of success. I don't think the men had that necessarily. Not that there was any – I'm not suggesting there was any negative stuff. It was just – Not you know, to the same extent, we'll say. Right. There's yeah. a reason why you and Drew are not on this segment because, you know, you guys just, just kind of – you know, sometimes you kind of friction, you know, and it's, it's kind of how it works. Uh, because you two have behaved one segment doesn't mean you could throw me and Drew under the bus, okay? <laughs> uh, you know, the other part is defensively. I don't think this team was as good defensively as they could have been, and I think if they would have made some stops, they would have held on to some leads like the Tulsa game, the Temple game, the Wichita State game on the road. This team, when they were a an NCAA tournament team, when they're at their best under Coach Dawkins and their blueprint, they stop people, and this team didn't stop people in key, in, in key games that maybe cost them yeah. opportunities to be in a postseason right now. You know, and I think a lot of that was connected to youth, Elo, right? Like, and, sure. and First of all, I'm not going to sit here and tell you anything negative about Darius Johnson. Listen, DJ is a fantastic player. And really the only thing that I had to deal with that was slightly, what's his word? Um, difficult for lack of a better word is I had to learn to call them by their full name and press conferences when they were there together. That's it, man. However, there is one thing I did notice as him being a newer guy, there were times he would be a little slow to get back out to the top of the block in the zone because he didn't know exactly where he was supposed to be. Not to say he had no clue. He just didn't get there with the same crispness, perhaps that CJ or some of the other guys would. And there were a couple of times that that led to a given up three point, you know, and Hey, by the way, one of the losses in question that was so bad in your mind and with temple at here, uh, uh, at addition, uh, financial was decided very closely by a three pointer here or there. Or right. A, right. A Open Jeff shot. Right. No, you're right. Absolutely. Jeff put it a brain fart by a freshman at that as well. Uh, in that situation to set up the jump ball. So that's one game. If this crew somehow could t beam back in from uh, uh, the coming year and play that last two minutes, they win that game. Right. You know, right. But that's, and you know, and that's my concern with college basketball where it's headed. Cause I believe program like UCF, like the BJ Taylor's team with, with, Taco and everybody, they played together for a long time. They were around each other for a long time. A program like UCF, I think, has to build that chemistry within two to three, four years. You're not going to get McDonald All-Americans. You're not going to get the blue chippers. You're not. My concern is now Johnny Dawkins' job, in some ways, has become harder because of the transfer porter. It's going to be a lot, even a lot harder now to keep a team in gelled for two to three, four years, because you're going to lose pieces, and then you got to add some pieces. You're going to be constantly fighting with the chemistry and the tinkering and how to place the lineups. I think that's going to be the challenge for programs like UCF uh, moving forward, especially when we get to the Big 12. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. That How to build that team in consistency, and that's why Coach Dawkins, you know, it's, it's a tough job. It's a much harder job than I think people on the outside understand. I think that's true. But, yeah, 18 and 12, you know, a seven win improvement from last year. Once again, you got a good core coming in. 
Um, and the guys that you wave goodbye to are mostly transfers. Darius Perry, Louisville. Brandon Mahan, Texas A&M. Uh, and Bakke Jong, UNLV. Um, you know, that's you know, it, it, it. It probably should have been a bigger red flag for us that, you know, your key group, your key group of guys, those those three key guys were all transfers from other places. But now that you have a core that Johnny himself has recruited, you know, I, I this to me seemed like the last of the a sort of transitionary period. So another offseason, uh, we'll see how that rolls together for um, the roster. Hopefully they keep what they've got and um, and continue to build on the core that they have. So uh, because, like I said, th- those top six guys, that's, I think that's a good that's a good group heading into next season, which may or may not be UCF's last season um, in the American. Kyle, you get the last word. Yeah, and one thing I'd like to mention, somebody else who I'm pretty sure for a fact isn't going anywhere and fans just need to get the heck used to it, Johnny Dawkins, okay? Listen, I'm not here to tell you he's the answer and meant to be here for the next five or ten years necessarily, but I think he's the man, best man for the job with the contract that he has. And anybody who argues to the contrary is doing so as a fan and not looking at the facts. As my good friend Elo loves to tell me, it's more about money than anything else here. And Dawkins does a great job at the price we have him. And don't do anything stupid like drive him off somewhere else. Because I'll tell you what, whatever replacement you're thinking there is, you're not going to get the perfect world Gus Malzahn hiring that the football team got. You're just not. Not with the lack of resources they have. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, well, lest we forget, Johnny Dawkins is the winningest head coach in Division One history. Oh, by the way, not possible, <laughs> right? <laughs> winningest UCF head coach since Torchy Clark, who's who coached in Division Two. So, like, what? I don't know what else you want, but um, you know, eleven and twelve in twenty in twenty twenty one, eighteen and twelve this past year. The improvement, improvement, improvement. I don't care. Yeah, look at the, the, the numbers tell you what they tell you. That's improvement. So, all right. Speaking of off-season improvement, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about football because Springs football is underway. Uh, look at Kyle's smile on his face. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, real quick, I, I just I just want to get your impression real quick, you know, when you when you know, because we we heard from Gus earlier this week, Kyle. The big question on everyone's mind is who's gonna play quarterback? <laughs> so what's the so what's the story right now in terms of does anyone think that do, do we have any read at all what's going to happen well of course when that question was posed to him very early in the press conference he says well yes i will tell you exactly who it is it's going to be boop, and it all cut out right there no um, the mm-hmm. uh, the impression he left with is that um you know the only um, uh, Mikey Keene is certainly in the in the conversation as last year's starter for the lion's share of the season and say what you will about his performance, which you may or may not have liked and, or, or how much improvement you thought he did or didn't make or any of that is irrelevant to this conversation in question right now, because we've seen people turn over and do amazing things in camp. Everybody's favorite McKenzie Milton being, of course, the most recent and shining example. You could also claim the same for one Dylan Gabriel who took over as a starter after a fantastic spring game performance. Okay. So say all of the above to say this, it sounds like the only pleasantry Mikey Keene is being granted is that he's the one that's going to be throwing the ball first. He is the line that sets the bar for camp. You know, if you want the specific wording of what Gus said, please head over to black and gold banner at a YouTube channel. Bing! 
and uh, check it out there. But it was along those lines and the conversations very wide open. Now I can, you know, get into my personal opinion about who does who to what, but you know, at the end of the day, in most situations I've seen Mikey Keene is definitely uh, the early starter on paper as the incumbent, but it's a long spring. And it's a longer offseason leading up to it indicates precisely zilch. Remember this time last year, gentlemen, or not last year, I'm sorry, a couple of years ago, we were talking about um, uh, uh, DJ Mack starting. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then Wimbush. And then he wasn't starting neither other than F- uh, than FAMU, right? So, yeah, know. that didn't last very long. It did not. And nor yeah. should it have. Well, and especially with the way how Gus handles the spring, which was something that you talked to him about, Kyle, this week at that media availability. Here, let's hear your exchange here with Gus Malzahn talking about the spring plans. Coach, we already talked a little bit about uh, this year versus last year. You've got a year under your belt, obviously. But um, at this point, I remember you talking about taking inventory of the players and looking into that. Now that you have foundation, what would you say out loud that the first step is going into the spring practice? Yeah, I mean, we're just wanting to slow down. You know, in spring, my philosophy has always been not to do a lot. It's just to develop a foundation offensively, defensively, especially. But it's also evaluation, period from a coach's standpoint, because as a coach, you want to play to your strengths. And so we're identifying what the strengths in all three phases that this team is going to be made up of. And most of the time in spring, you can figure that out. And so it's a combination of both of those and and, uh, putting people in different positions and kind of mixing and matching. So we'll be doing a little bit of that too. All right, there was Gus answering Kyle's question. What did you think of his answer there? What did you think of his philosophy in the spring? That, hey, it's a process here, simple stuff, you know, learning the deal. What did what, you take from his uh, comments? Well, I mean, first of all, as a quick aside, this is what I like about Coach Malzahn. He doesn't just hit you with coach speak. Oh, sure, there's some, but you actually get something as tangible out of it. And, and really, this is this compared to last year where his hair is on fire, in this case, he's in the lab blowing up beakers, okay? He's experimenting with things. He's doing things that he didn't get to do. Even talking about putting players at positions they aren't normally at to try things out. See, he's trying to find out. He has the inventory of the talent he has. And when I talked to um, the offensive coordinator, Chip Lindsay, like he could, he could not be more thankful to come in with a foundation in place. Like it, it, maybe he would have liked to have been here with Gus for the first year to take inventory, maybe not. But he definitely saw the advantage to having that foundation in place that Gus has built. You know, for my money, the only thing that he hasn't answered for yet, but will probably sooner than quarterback, I would argue, is the linebacker spot. A lot of players leaving from there and it's certainly going to be a big uh, uh, depth chart battle throughout the season. That's when you're going to want to watch, too. Yeah, that was one that right before we went on, Eric and I were talking about. Like, the I know, Kyle, you read our minds. Real, yeah. Like the linebacker thing is going to be a real battle. Yeah, you know, I, I think Jeremiah Jean Baptiste is back, and that's pretty much it. That's right? correct, and you know that's exactly that's exactly how uh, it was put when Brandon Helwig asked the question about them in the press conference. And you know, it's just a process of el- elimination. Be very curious when uh, Drew comes back on to talk about that group, what he sees. But there's going to be a lot of development, and the, basically the way uh, uh, Gus Malzahn answered it was, it's a lot of opportunity for young players to get theirs, and that's the listen when you recruit and transfer players the way you do if your answer is oh he's learning this oh he's learning that that's a problem if your answer is they're looking to find the opportunity that's what i want to see in here all right well spring games april 16th 
Yes. Uh, we'll be monitoring the. Kyle's got it circled. He's ready. Kyle's got it. I got it circled and ready because I'm going to be there too. That's right. Uh, you know, I'm going to be. I'm going to be in a working capacity that day. But uh, but so yeah. is Kyle. Kyle's working. True. True. I just make it look that easy, boss. And he's going to look a lot sharper than you, Jeffrey. I've seen his suits. I mean, it's not even close. Hold on, hold on. I, it's not a full three piece, but I do get certain tie. That's true. I, I, I listen. I am. I am wearing the. I am wearing the company garb when I do that. You know, you do realize oh, that. Oh, right? you're going to open that. That that can. What <laughs> company garb? I don't have any. Are you? Uh, my question no, is, are you both, you, we don't have black and gold banneret company garb. I'm. I'm on UCF's time on it. Yeah, I know. I just I do that. You set me up, boss. I mean, <laughs> I, are you both more sharply dressed than Drew? Is my question. Oh, oh yeah. Why don't All you right. set the bar any lower there, Eric? I mean, what is this, a limbo competition? <laughs> I know he's not here to answer himself, but he'd agree. Once <sighs> again, Drew is not here to defend himself. That's right. <laughs> anyway, all right. The SOTG on Twitter, Kyle Nash joining us. Class is. Oh, yeah. If we're wrapping up, honor, joy, and privilege, gentlemen, class is dismissed. Yeah. Uh, when we return, Bryson Turner is going to dive on in to talk a little uh, UCF baseball, getting a big win over Miami on Wednesday night. Eric's going to got uh, some, wow, UCF softball, totally killing it over this past uh, week, over this past week out, spring break out in California going 7-0, and and then they come back home and they clobber Ohio State, uh, plus some NCAA indoor track and field results to talk about uh, with Bryson when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret podcast back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Jeff and Eric along with you here. Bryson Turner has joined us as well. So we're going to wrap things up on some of the spring sports here that are underway. And one sport that's kind of wrapping up slash sort of starting. But anyway, we're going to start with softball. Eric Lopez, that road trip out to California for UCF softball could not have gone any better. And I mean that quite literally because they went undefeated. <laughs> uh, seven and seven and oh. First time that UCF has ever gone undefeated on a West Coast road trip. Eric, this team is now 23 and seven. Yep. They are ranked in the top 25 in every major poll. They have won, let's see, how many is this now? Six, 12 in a row. 12, in 12 a row. games. Who's counting? In a row. You are. That's right. <laughs> and they've got Furman coming in this week. And last night they run ruled. Ohio State. Tuesday night. Tuesday. Tuesday night. night yeah, they, they run ruled Ohio State. Tuesday. Ohio State's receiving votes. Yeah. Big Ten school. This team is on a roll right now, man. Yeah, they're clicking very well. And that was a big win. The Ohio State game. UCF came in nineteen in the RPI. Ohio State was twenty, and UCF smoked them. She, you know, Jada Cody, who's been on fire, leads the nation in RBIs. Has forty-one RBIs. Wow. But oh, by the way, he still got Shannon Doherty, who had a monster game against Ohio State, and then Ashley Griffin is twelve for twenty-five since she hit the walk-off game winner, a base hit against South Carolina a couple weeks ago. So the offense really clicked starting in the West Coast, and it's continued against an Ohio State staff that was ranked nineteenth in ERA in the country. So that's a big win for them. In fact, now it's early, but we're actually at the halfway point of the softball season as we're approaching. As of Tuesday, the RPI for UCF moved up to 15, uh, which is a significant number. Not only is that a good number to make the tournament, that's a number to be in the mix to host. Uh, so, look, they're clicking on all cylinders. Grace Jewell pitched well against Ohio State. You look at the West Coast trip you mentioned. 
First ever time that any UCF team has gone on the West Coast and gone undefeated. They beat an NCAA tournament teams at Iowa State, in Boston, Long Beach State. I think Cal State Fullerton, who they run rolled, they'll be in the tournament. Nebraska's improved. Uh, you're right. This is, uh, to be honest with you, Jeff, I think they're ahead of where I thought they would be at this point. Now, Furman's coming into town this weekend, three games set, doubleheader Saturday, one game Sunday. Furman's kind of struggling right now at nine and 10, although they, they lost to Florida State just recently, but only two to nothing. So I think they kind of gave it, gave it their best shot. What do we know about Furman? Well, they're co- led by their head coach, Stacey Whitfield Johnson, who I actually spoke to. That's why I didn't uh, get a chance to talk to uh, my boy, Pinson, when you talked to him, because I was doing a conference call with her. They're 9 and 10, their first year young team, but they beat Mississippi State. You mentioned the Florida State result. They're getting better. They're cleaner defensively. And, you know, they've circled this game. UCF's ranked. This is a big series for Furman. Uh, so I think UCF's got to be ready to go here to take Furman's best punch. You don't take them lightly. I think for UCF, this is an opportunity where, hey, you know, we got to fine tune some things before you get into conference play next weekend. And that's some of the topics I hit up with Coach Ball Malone after the Ohio State win, as we'll play right here. We talked about not only the Ohio State win, but looking ahead towards the Furman series. Um, I love the amount of teams that we played, the RPI teams that, you know, uh, we had some great games against Nebraska, Ohio State, Fullerton. I mean, all of them were big-time games for us uh, playing in their on their home turf. And um, you know what was the coolest thing? Like, the crowd tonight was awesome. Um, Tuesday night, and we felt like we were sold out almost. Um, but out in California, it was the same vibe. And everyone was chanting UCF. And I just can't be more proud. Like, I couldn't be more prouder. Is that even a word? I don't know. But uh, for them, um, just hearing that, that that crowd chant UCF and looking at their their eyes and seeing the California girls get to play in front of their families and our Florida girls just, you know, get so pumped up for them. And so it's just been a, an awesome growing experience. And I love how everything's kind of coming together. Speak to Grace Jewell's performance. You know, not the easiest of conditions for a pitcher with the ball flying out early in the game, especially so windy. But she settled in there and gave you a quality start and get the win. Yeah, yeah. No, that first one, I think, you know, Grace hit her bat at a good spot because I don't think it was something that was like, oh, that's well hit. Um, the next one, I'll give that to the hitter. That was that was some good hitting. But um, besides that, really shut down those left-handed hitters. Um, you know, they, they played really well against USF a couple days ago. So I love that we, you know, can get some – some good innings out of Grace, and then Kate to come in and close it down and uh, give Kama and G a break. You know, they, they threw a lot this past week. Um, but that just goes to show in our bullpen, we're, we, we're deep. We're deep in a lot of positions, and um, that shows how competitive we are. And, you know, wanted to keep everyone to stay healthy so we can take that all the way through the season. You've talked about the bottom of the order being productive. Denali's now back on track, back to her old self there, too. Helping the offense, Michaela, with a big night as well. I mean, the bottom of the order is producing runs and helping to get the flip the order like you want. Sure. No, Elo, it's so funny because we talked about, like, Denali's back, so we should probably put her back at the top of the lineup. And then we're like, "Mm, no, all those people are on base when she's up, so let's just keep her there. And it's paying off right now. So um, it's tough when your 7, 8, 9 hitters are, you know, making things happen and then you get back up to – you know, one, two, Kennedy's passing the bat to Jada Cody, and no one wants to face her right now. Um, so I love how they're, you know, protecting each other and uh, keeping the momentum going and passing the bat. 
You got Furman now this weekend, uh, who beat Mississippi State. They've beaten a couple good teams, and they're going to come ready for you there. You're going to have a target this weekend with them. They're going to be ready to play. Yeah, no, for sure. And anytime you play somebody three times, I mean, it's going to be a great opportunity to practice for the following weekend with conference coming up. And um, I think it's going to be, you know, good for our team to also figure out, like, when they start to make adjustments, how we're going to make adjustments. So uh, it'll be good to scout just one team on the weekend, give the, the coaches a little bit of a break. <laughs> All right, got that in there. All right, let me let's let you bring it back. Three, two, one, go. That was Coach Ball Malone, her thoughts on Furman. And it's very important, Jeff, because after this weekend with Furman, doubleheader Saturday, single game Sunday, conference play starts. And UCF will head over to uh, take the I-4 corridor to start conference play to take USF, who's also ranked, led by the nation's leader in ERA, Georgina Cork, who has an ERA. Are you ready for this, Jeffrey? 0. 0. Six. Yep. One earned run allowed and 169 <laughs> strikeouts in 111 innings. In 111 innings, she's only allowed 35 hits. Um, any potential for some look ahead for UCF at this point? Well, I think that's a good question. I think we'll te- they'll, we're will we going to test the young roster, how they focus there. And I don't think so. I think they'll be locked in on Furman. Uh, but you're, it is a valid question to ask to see how they handle this Furman. Do they come out a little flat? Do they not? Some history could be made this weekend, by the way. The next hit that Denali Schopacher will have will be her 200th of her career. She would become the 10th UCF player to reach that milestone. So that could be something that could be in play this weekend there. But you're right. Hopefully they don't look at it, and they better not, because if they trip up against Furman, that's going to kill their RPI a little bit there. Uh, but by the way, that USF series... Something we could be historic, could have a one of the rare occasions. We don't know it's happened, but it hasn't happened in maybe in 30-some years. The nation's leader in ERA, potentially, versus the nation's leader in RBIs at that moment. Could happen there with Corrick and, Co- and Cody in that series. But we'll have more on that next week on the next week's show. But you're right. Can't look past Furman because Furman beat a good Mississippi State team. They gave Florida State fits, and I think it's going to be a challenge for these girls to take them, you know, not drop a game and be locked in right from the get-go. Continue this momentum they've, they've built going back to all the way to California. Yeah, wow. I, I mean, I'm still looking at Georgina Corrick's numbers. I'm sorry. It doesn't even look right. Like, it, it's 17-0, and 0. 0.06 earn run average, a 0. 0.38 whip, 169 strikeouts, yeah. seven walks, She's the best pitcher in the sport right now. She's bad. And I had a chance to talk to her for the uh, In the Circle podcast I host. She's a great kid, uh, down to earth. How, part of the how great did we let her get out of Seminole High School? How, how do we let her out of Seminole County? Uh, you know, she, well, I, she, I mean, I might, we'll get it, you know, not to go into in depth on the recruiting, but a lot of softball players go under the radar. And credit to Ken Erickson, who spotted her. And really, the big thing is, is Georgina told me one of the reasons why she liked to USF is she, her major is marine biology. That's what she wants ah. to do after softball. And USF has a good program there. And, uh, you know, you know, it's good worked for out for her. It's weird, though, right? Because to your point, she's an Orlando kid that's at USF. Yet UCF, you know, look at the kids they've had from the Tampa area. Aaliyah, Aaliyah White, most recently, Allison Kime, Mackenzie Audis. It's just kind of funny. I mean, Caitlin Felton's, it's just weird that, you know, maybe it's just the kids just don't want to stay home. You know, they just want to do something different. Who knows?
Yeah. There is a um, great story on MLB.com that talks about Corrick and a great quote from Ken Erickson where he says, um, there's only one name that came to mind. He sorry, he said to quote to me, it was just like it was like I just found Sid Finch, end quote. <laughs> yeah. Now, those of like you, Ken. those of that you who like know Ken. old school Sports Illustrated know who Sid Finch is. <laughs> and I will let you look that up. Um, so. All right. So so that's the story with UCF softball against Furman coming up this weekend, followed by conference. Yeah. Against right. Twenty fourth in one of the polls. Twenty five. Don't worry about the polls. The polls are clueless idiots, as we know. Well, there's also like 18 of them. Yeah. And the RPI is more important because that's what the committee is going to look at. And, for, and uh, we'll see how that looks. And uh, hopefully we get another great crowd. Packed house Tuesday night for Ohio State. Largest Ohio- Tuesday night crowd I can remember. Uh, great atmosphere. It's been a great support for the softball program and really great support for the baseball program too this year, including on Wednesday night, Jeffrey, yeah. which was kind of wild. Great segue because that brings us to Bryson Turner, uh, who can talk about UCF baseball, who's had uh, a very good wrap to, the, uh, to their spring break as they uh, finish up. Or just recently last night, they beat Miami 10 to 5 at home. Uh, in addition to that, uh, you know, coming back to last week, you know, they beat, they, uh, they lost actually two of three Bryson to, uh, North Florida and a little bit of a slip up there, but got the rebound against Miami. I want to talk to you about the, my, uh, the, the UNF games first, because, uh, that was a little bit of a surprise. They got, they got beat pretty good in the first game of this whole header came back, won the, uh, second game of the double header four to nothing, but then in the, in the rubber game in Jacksonville, um, uh, came up short and Chase Santala got, you know, got hung with the loss in a game where uh, that was scoreless heading into the eighth inning. What happened? There was not run support. I mean, it's, it's really that simple. I talked to Greg Lovelady after the Miami game and he's, and he said as much, I it, losing Nick Romano at which we now know is to a torn ACL. So that's certainly not a good sign there, but yeah. losing a bat like him, with the condition that the offense had been in over over the over this season, not very good. And so, even though we, pitchers like Connor Stain and Hunter Pattison had excellent starts this weekend against North Florida, they just could not have the run support. I mean, or, I mean, even I mean, Stain literally, I mean, Stain got some run support, but it wasn't much over the course of the entire weekend. Over the course of the entire weekend. North Florida outscored outscored UCF, even though we won one of those games. So, so I mean, it, it all really came down to run support, which is why I'm really glad that my, the Miami game turned out the way that they did, because guess what? They got run support. And yeah, I mean, the Hunter Patterson game on, on Sunday in Jacksonville was a key example of that, because he goes seven innings, gives up only four hits, no runs, walks only one, Strikes out ten, and gets a no decision. He ties yeah. his career, yeah, ties his career high again. The second time this season, he's done that. And yeah. Chase Santala, I do not blame him one bit. Sometimes you just have a bad start appearance, and that's what happened. the The big thing is is that when you is that pitchers need run support and they don't have control over that. And so, because Santala had a really great game against uh, appearance against Ole, Ole Miss. And this time it just didn't really work out the way they wanted to for, for him. So it is what it is, but I, all credit in the world goes to Connor Stain, who, by the who, by the way, uh, as I'm just making sure I have this, yes, he 
still has a zero ERA right now, yeah. which uh, he's he admitted it is in the back of his mind a little bit when he goes to the uh, goes to the mound to his first start. But well, he's the ace. He's the ace. Him and Patterson yeah. is the form is the one two punch with Lich. Pitching's not the issue with this team. Yeah, uh, the is the offense and obviously. The, the injury to Nick Romano, which obviously, Bryson, you broke that story last uh, Friday night. In fact, when you asked Greg Lovelady about, about that, and here was what Greg Lovelady told you about Nick Romano's injury on Friday night. See what happens, but obviously a big blow. Um, big blow to our offense, big blow to our team. You know, just the older veteran guy that everybody loves and has worked really, really hard. And um, you know, just a freak, freak injury, man. Like, I, I just feel really, really bad. Like he has worked hard to get his body in shape and, and avoid the, you know, the hamstring and the oblique kind of injuries that he had last year, and, and you know, just have a freak thing and, um, and you know, and something major like that is just unfortunate. Uh, it's bad for our team, but it's worse. We'll, we'll be okay. We'll have we we'll need guys to step up and we'll be okay. But I just, you know, I feel for Larry. He's such a good kid. Worked really hard. And, you know, we'll see what happens and what the game plan is going forward. So that was uh, Coach Lovelady confirming there, the, uh, talking about Nick Romano's ACL injury. We wish the best for Nick, first of all. Yeah. He's dealt with so many injuries. You hate to hear that. I mean, it's not fair. It's no. it's not fair to that kid. He's done everything that's been asked of him, and it's, it sucks. Correct. Uh, I agree 100%. And that's going to be the big question offensively, who steps into that role. And Bryce, and I wrote, as I wrote, she plugged for blackandgoldbanneret.com, recap of the Miami game. I think there's three guys, to me, that have to step up. I think, first of all, I like Lex Bedeker. Played oh, at first yeah. base, Bodeker, couple of hits. I think he's the – to me, he should be the first baseman. I mean, obviously, they're going to play matchups and all that. I think he's a big key factor. But the other two guys, to me, is Michael Brooks and Tom Jolston. Two, Jolston's the veteran. Brooks, the transfer from Arkansas. Both off to slow starts. Jolston hitting 176 going into the Miami game. Brooks, 220. They both went deep in the victory over Miami on Wednesday night. And to me, guys – those two in particular, I think, have to raise their game. And I know Greg Lovelady even have said that to kind of offset what you lose in Nick Romano. Don't you agree, Bryson? Oh, yes. I mentioned this when I talked to uh, when I talked to Jostin and Lovelady in after the after the Miami uh, Miami game. And yeah, that I, I think you really just nailed it, nailed it on the head. The other guys just have to step up and fill in. And it's unfortunate because a player like Romano, you know, I'm, I mean, we, we see, we've seen what he's capable of when healthy and when healthy, he can be a very impactful player. We saw it at last year's conference conference tournament. We saw it at the beginning of this season. So losing him is unfortunate, but with that said, it having Lex Bodeker there, the true, true freshman there, Michael Brooks, redshirt freshman transfer from Arkansas. I, I think that the, the, there is a young core there that will be able to step up. But Lovelady also emphasized the importance of people like Tom Jostin, who's you know been having kind of a slow start this season. He, the home run that he hit against Miami was his first home run he's hit since the opening series against Siena. And even now, his batting average is like 213. Yeah. So... He's, but he is so hopefully this will be, this is a sign that maybe he's yep. getting, getting it back and going in the bat because this team certainly needs it because Lex Bodeker just has, we just hit 300 batting average, but Pena and Bodeker cannot 
you know, carry these bats. Right, right. Them. Pablo Ruiz, another one. That is, and the thing is, they have guys that are capable of doing it. Uh, the good news is I like this pitching staff. I mean, a guy that really stood out to me, Kyle Kramer. I want to throw out Kyle Kramer. Relief pitcher, pitched two innings uh, in high leverage against Miami. A transfer out of Rollins College. Yeah. D2 has been spectacular in seven appearances, a 1.8 ERA. 14 strikeouts in 10 innings pitch. Credit to the staff for finding talent everywhere. And that's what so makes college baseball so unique is that you can find talent in the junior college, Division II level, and up to D1. And this staff, again, I like the arms they have both in the bullpen and in the rotation. It's the offense that's kind of come has got to come around. And I think they will. Uh, as the season, if Jolston, if Tom Jolston can hit to his ability like he did the, you know, last year he hit eight, eight homers. But again, Brooks has that power. I mean, that home run Brooks hit, a home run last against Miami Wednesday night, that thing was crushed. You could tell that guy has tremendous power. So that's the key. Can they get that offense to get gelling, especially the middle to the bottom of the order as they get going against Greensboro this weekend? Yeah, UNC Greensboro comes into town. We got the alumni game on Friday. So Friday 6 Saturday six, Sunday one against uh, UNC Greensboro, and then midweek double dip, or uh, or not a double dip, but a, a back to back Tuesday, Wednesday at number eight Florida State in Tallahassee too. So that's going to be another resume big, opportunity. I mean, Miami's test. a resume big win. Test. Oh, but it's be yeah, a big, big two game midweek Tallahassee. Yeah, and let's not sleep on Greensboro either. Their team, that team's pretty good too. I want to see what kind of start they've gotten off to. They're one under um, five hundred. By the way, credit to the crowd that stuck around. Our fifty minute rain delay. Yeah. First of all, it was a rain delay, then a lightning delay. So first pitch wasn't until seven fifty, uh, and they still had over thirty four hundred at the game. Largest. UCF Miami crowd ever in Orlando between the Knights and the Canes when they played in Orlando. Largest UCF Miami crowd ever. And even another large crowd, another crowd over 3,000 this year. Again, baseball, softball, man, they're getting the support from the fan bases. Credit to the the fans for supporting. I'm telling you, the players and the coaches uh, really appreciate that, and they feed off of that. So credit to the fans, too. Yeah, so we got to get through Greensboro, and then we got Florida State uh, in Tallahassee next week. All right. Wrap it up with some track and field, Bryson. Uh, NCAA indoor championships. Um, job well done once again by Renaya Jones. Uh, finished third in the 60-meter hurdle final by something like four one-thousandths of a second uh, from second place. Um, she, uh, so she was the highest finisher. She gets the bronze in the national indoors. Uh, and that means we transition to the outdoor season with the Black and Gold Invitational coming up uh, this weekend. Now, Renaya is taking the week off because she was because she was in the uh, um, indoor championship. Because she was in the indoor championships. But I mean, what does that say for UCF that you know Renaya was able to get that indoor uh, was able to get was able to medal indoors? Well, I a couple of, there's a couple of things there that I got to mention with the indoor championship. One, she got a new personal best in the 60-meter dash while she was at it. She didn't make the final. She was close, about 400, about four thousandths of a second off. But even though, even then, she still got a personal best in the 60-meter dash. So her sprinting is improving. She's not just a hurdle. I will make sure I mention that whenever I can. But in the hurdles, 
I don't know if you guys watched the watch. I watched it live. And wow, that was some, that was a tense start. So for those that didn't see it, uh, what happened is, is that uh, LSU's Aaliyah Armstrong actually false started on the, on the, on these, uh, at the gun. She jumped the gun and ended up getting disqualified because of that. And, 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 Renaya didn't jump though. She, Aaliyah's false star actually got a couple of others to also kind of jump off. Renaya ended up not doing that. So credit to her for staying focused on focus there. But I think that a big thing that that final showed us is how is not only how capable she is on a national scale. I think it also really gives her a mark as well, because Grace Stark, she tied the collegiate record. Yeah, for the sick for the 60 meter hurdle. Grace Stark of Florida. She was she was also among the 100 meter hurdles uh, f- yeah. finalists at the NCAA Outdoor Championships last year. So I think that that's Grace Stark is certainly somebody to follow and a very great rival for Renaya. But uh, of course, she still adds a, a podium to her trophy case. Latasha Smith also solid uh, solid job competing there. I hope she'll transition well into outdoor. And we actually just today we recently got the schedule for the uh, for the black and gold invitational, and that one and that's going to start on Friday at 11 a.m. with the pole vault. The field events are going to be going from 11 to six. While the running events will go from 5:30 to 9:10 on fr- on Friday, and then tr- action gets started at 10 a.m. on Saturday. Yeah, that was well. I, going back to that 60 meter hurdle, that was uh, you know that was big for night because Aaliyah Armstrong had the second fastest time in the prelims and was widely considered to be a a potential favorite um, in that, but uh, obviously came up short. Um, you know, because of, uh, because of disqualification on, uh, on, on the false start, but, uh, but yeah, we're right there, um, you know, and great, give credit to Grace Stark for that, you know, new collegiate record, 7.78 in the 60 meter hurdles, but, uh, Renaya 7.95 and she just continues to get better. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, it, I mean, a tremendous, tremendous effort, uh, for UCF, um, as well in the, uh, and in the 400, um, as well, the UCF did have one, uh, other competitor, Latasha Smith, like you mentioned, um, competed in the prelims, did not qualify for the final, but congrats to Latasha for, uh, she, she ran a 50, 53.92 in the 400, uh, the qualifying time was 52.27. Um, but again, chances for her to get you know, more chances for it in the uh, outdoor season as we approach that. Um, as we finish up. So, hey, two indoor NCAA competitors, one of them finished third, that ain't bad. No, yeah, I completely agree with that. Latasha did an absolutely great job. When you look at the qualifying time, it actually is a lower than Latasha's personal best. So, uh, and I would, so I think that, that at least this shows progress from her. She's a sophomore, just like Renaya. So she has plenty of time to hone her, to hone her craft and come back and do and do better there so yeah yeah, so well done to her and even then there are some UCF athletes that also had some great times that didn't make it to the NCAA championships that will be that will be beginning their outdoor seasons this week this weekend all right so as we finish up here on the black and gold banner at podcast we got a lot of people to thank first uh thanks to Chris Pinson for joining us 
Uh, you can follow him uh, on Twitter. Chris has been uh, an old friend of ours as well. Um, really happy to see. Glad he, we could bring him in to talk. Uh, He's gone a long way well. since he was in the booth with me like 11 years I ago. I know, yeah, softball. me too. He and I were doing some, <laughs> yeah. uh, baseball. some baseball too back in the day. That was fun. It was good to see him uh, as well. Thanks to uh, the student of the game himself, Kyle Nash, for joining us to talk about basketball. Thanks to you, Bryson, for joining us as well. Thanks to you, Eric. Eric Lopez Elo. It's Bryson Turner, the SOTG on Twitter. Uh, and uh, that with that, that'll take us to the end of the show. UCF Banneret underscore SBN is where you can follow us collectively on Twitter. Make sure you follow us for the NCAA women's first round and hopefully second round too with uh, UCF taking on Florida. Once again, that's Saturday, 3.30 p.m. Uh, on ESPN News. Is that right, Eric? That's correct. ESPN News. All right. And uh, and yeah, you'll be following us for all the latest on that as the Knights um, head to stores and who knows what may be what may be in the horizon for them this coming week. Best of luck to Coach Abe and the team as uh, as they begin their march uh, in madness uh, in the NCAAs. For all of us here at Black and Gold Banner, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banner podcast. Enjoy the weekend. Follow us for more on UCF women's basketball as they begin their run in the NCAA tournament.